So thank you. Um, we can applaud. I feel like we should applaud. Not because... Just because it's good to honor people in the work that they do, and they do good work. So I want to thank everybody for being here. Um, we're in the second week of our kind of Christmas series leading up to Christmas, and I can, I've, I'm in the room, and I can feel that like this is drag, the drag portion of Christmas, where it's just like I can feel the energy that people have where you're walking into the room, and you're just like, oof, I just want it to be done. If I could climb into a time machine and transport myself to January 3rd right now, I might take that, okay? Uh, but that's not afforded to any of us. So we are going to hang out together, and we are going to do what I think is some important work this morning. I want you to imagine with me, briefly, if you will, that there's an alien who has been sent to Earth, okay? Okay? I'm not saying that there are aliens. I have no idea about that. But just engage in the practice with me for a second, okay? So there's an alien who's been sent to Earth, and this alien's job is to investigate what Christmas is all about. So there's multiple ways for this alien to go about this business. They could come to the Christian traditions and sort of investigate that. They could, they could uh, talk to people who are celebrating Christmas and seem to be doing that. Uh, but another way that our alien has chosen is to just sit themselves down in front of a television and watch all of the Hallmark movies about Christmas. So that's what, that's what our alien is going to do. He's just going to sit there, and he's going to be like, well, obviously, if they're making these movies about Christmas, this must be what Christmas is all about, right? So we wouldn't be surprised, then, if the alien starts to write back a report to his, over, his, his, his boss aliens, because every, everyone has a boss, even aliens. Uh, this side of eternity, everyone, even aliens, have bosses. So he's writing his report back, and he's like, it's, it appears that Christmas is mostly about um, uh, women working very busy jobs in the cities who, who have inattentive uh, romantic partners moving to small country areas, getting trapped there by weather, and then meeting a new romantic partner who is nicer and is a craftsperson of some sort. Like that is, Christmas also includes dogs and antique trucks. We don't know, right? And that is how the alien would respond. The alien overlords would be like, oh yeah, that seems exactly what Christmas is all about, right? But we know, as followers of Jesus, that it, that is not what Christmas is all about, right? And in fact, my favorite piece of culture to watch all over, uh, over the Christmas holidays reinforces that. When the, when the main character, Charlie Bound, yells out, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? Uh, Linus walks up and he reads this portion from, recites this portion from Luke 2. If we can go to our first slide here. And he says... And he recites this in response to the question, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? This is what he says. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto, can we go to the next one? And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So what Christmas is all about is not finding new romantic partners, although that's a fine and good thing to do, especially if your previous romantic partner was as mean as that guy who lives in the city. Why, what did she see in him anyway? Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, Christmas is a declaration that God has for the world that God himself says to us in the birth of Jesus that the old order of things is passing away and that on earth there will be peace, goodwill toward men, goodwill toward humanity, that that is the reality in which we live. And when we ask ourselves the question, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? What is Christmas all about? It is an announcement that the world is going to be changed forever because the king is coming. Christmas starts a revolution against the powers of this world by reminding us that the king is coming and of everything that comes along with that. And last week we talked about the king of justice is coming. This week we're going to be talking about how the king of healing is coming. Because everyone in the, in the, in, in, in the world of ancient Israel who, were, who believed in the Torah, who, who followed that tradition, understood that when the Messiah came, when this time came, that, that healing was going to be a part of that. That, the, that was the expectation. The prophets called for it. The, 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 the writers of, of Scripture called for it. The Psalms talked about it all the time, that when, when the Messiah came, that healing would come along with him, to the point that, um, if we can go to our next slide, there's a point uh, in Jesus' ministry where his cousin, John the Baptist, has been taken by Herod, King Herod, and he's been thrown into prison, and he has his followers go ask Jesus because he's confused. He's like, he doesn't see Jesus doing the Messiah things, like taking over and, and just tramping all over, all over the evil rulers. He says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? So he's asking a very specific question. Are you the Messiah? Are you this king that we've been talking about for thousands of years? Are you the one that we've been talking about? And Jesus replies, by quoting Isaiah 35, go back and report to John what you see. The blind, if we can go back, please. Uh, the blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So Jesus steps into this prophecy. He says, the one that you are looking for is me. Yes, that's me. 
And everything that goes along with that, Jesus says, is coming when he takes his throne. And now we can go to, to the next one, to Isaiah 35. This is what they're quoting. And, and God has inspired in Isaiah a vision of everything that he's going to do when the kingdom comes in its fullness. So, and this, this beautiful expectation of when we say the king is coming, when we say that unto us is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord, this is what we're looking for. And as Isaiah writes, inspired by God, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. And he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. And in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Can we go to the next one? Not the font. In case anyone was concerned. You don't have to like the papyrus font. And a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk in that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. Only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is what we are talking about when we say the king is coming. When we sing, O come all ye faithful, come let us adore him, this is what we are talking about. It is an expectation that the world is about to change in every way possible. And it's going to result in healing for humanity in every way that we can possibly imagine. Everything that was broken in the fall and in the curse will be healed in us. Every obstacle that we face, every opposition that is against us in both in our own selves and in the powers and principalities of this world is going to be wiped away because the king is coming to make all things new. And it's good for us to sit and live in the full ramifications of this. So we're going to go through all of the different things and kinds of healing that this passage talks about. So if we can go to the next one. It talks about healing in our bodies. And this is something that we're not afraid to talk about at this church, and I'm very glad of that. We believe that healing is available for us in Jesus. We believe, and it says, that the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Our bodies that we have been given are made of the same earth that we plant seeds in. And one of the results of the fall, one of the results of Gen in Genesis, uh, the consequences of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God is that God said the very ground will fight against you. And thorns and thistles will appear there, and by the sweat of your brow you will have to eat your food. Because the ground has been broken by our sin, there is, there, they fight against us. And in the same way, our bodies, which are made of the same ground, fight against us. 
And sometimes we get caught up in this. We think like, oh, well, I must have pain because I sinned, or I must have sickness because I sinned. And maybe that sometimes happens in the Bible. But sometimes the reality is our bodies start to break down because the ground is fighting against us. And we are not in eternity yet. So we deal with this. And we do pray constantly for physical healing now and forever. We do that. But we acknowledge that not everybody gets that fully and completely all the time. And even if we do have healing, there are many of you in this room that are struggling with colds, with viruses that are sapping your energy, with headaches that are limiting you from being able to do what you want to do, with pains in your bodies that are just the result of use and overuse and incorrect use, and that time you drove a car way too fast when you were 17 and like wrapped it around a telephone pole, and you just have a sore knee now. That is the consequence of driving too fast when you're 17. We deal with that. But one of the things that happens when we announce and when we, when we live in this Christmas reality is that we recognize that this is not my story forever. My headache is temporary. My cold is temporary. My knee is temporary. And what I am headed for is a future where every pain that exists in my body, that d inhibits me from doing what I've been called to do, that makes every day just a little bit of a fight, that one day that fight will end. And there will be full and complete healing that is what we are talking about when we talk about the king of healing is coming. Can we go to the next? It's going to be healing in our resources. This is a little bit tougher. And, and I'm embarrassed about this a little bit because lots of guys come up here, my colleagues, people who do this, not so much at this church, but in the Big C Church, we're all, we've all seen them, that are like, God wants to unstop your finances. If you give something to me, then God will give a whole bunch of stuff to you. Right? That is not what we're talking about right now. But all of us in this room, I believe, or most of us certainly, know what it is like to not have enough. And to know what it is like to have our future be uncertain. To know that there are things that we want, that our families want, that our children want, and to not be sure where the resources to take care of that is going to come from. Sometimes that's financial. You've got kids who want to, to, to go to very wonderful universities, and you wonder, how am I going to help them do that? You've got parents whose bodies are breaking down, and, and, but, but still have needs that, that, that the pensions that they put their entire lives to aren't covering in the same way anymore, and you want to be able to help with them with that, but you don't know where that's coming from. Or even if you have all of the money resources in the world, there is just simply not enough time to provide financially for your family and be there emotionally. That if I do this, then I have to cut back somewhere else. And there's not enough resources to go around. And we feel that pressure and pulled in different directions. And we feel the anxiety that comes from that of, of looking at our lives and being like, I am constantly failing someone somewhere. And when the king of healing comes, all of those resources are healed. It says that water will gush forth in the wilderness. 
These were people with very simple needs. They needed water, they needed food, they were subsistence farmers. And what this is saying is that good, clean, healthy water is going to spring up where there was none before. And that is absolutely life-changing. And what we are called to, even in a world where we just like, but I turn on the tap and water comes out, and that's magic somehow. Like that, that world where we take that for granted, even though we live there, that we can acknowledge what it means to have all of our resources changed and healed, that we will not need anymore. And not only will we not need, we won't have a longing for things that are beyond our needs. That not only the outside world is healed, but internally we're healed to the point where the resources that we have been provided are enough for us to be transformed, are enough for us to be satisfied, and enough for us to feel safe. When the king of healing comes in his fullness, we don't look at the world with lack. We look at the world and see its abundance. Not only that, if we can go to the next one, there's going to be healing in our relationships. And this is a little bit tougher sometimes. Because this is how God describes healing in our relationships through Isaiah. He said, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come and save you. And this is a word for those of you who have been hurt. Because too often in the church, we've expected you who have been hurt and attacked in every way that is imaginable, and we just expect you to get over that. And we expect you to like, well, now you just got to forgive and move into love, and we don't spend any time in the fact that like, wait a minute, didn't anyone notice when this person was hurting me? Didn't anyone see that? Didn't anyone notice when I was being attacked and taken advantage of? Didn't anyone see that? And I'm just supposed to forgive and move past that like it didn't happen? I'm just supposed to be okay with that? It is religion that has told you that you have to be okay with that. God does not say that at all. God has, is saying to you who have been deeply, deeply wounded and hurt, he is coming with divine retribution and vengeance, and he is coming to save you. So you can hold that in your heart all those times when you were like, did no one see what that person did to me? God saw. God saw. And he's going to make it right. And I can't tell you how, and I can't tell you when, but I can tell you one thing, that God is going to make it right. Now, some of you are just like, but I was hurt <laughs> by God's people. And he's forgiven them. So how does that even work? And I'm going to promise you again, I, don't, I can't give you the math on how this is going to work. But I can tell you this. Somehow, even your brothers and sisters that have deeply, deeply harmed you, even though they have been and will be completely forgiven because God is good all the time, even when we don't deserve it and even when they don't deserve it, somehow they will be aware of how deeply they have hurt and harmed people. God didn't miss anything. He hasn't forgotten. And he takes it very, very seriously when people hurt his children. 
So if you need that today, to know that, to know that is anyone seeing this? Is anyone standing up for me? Is anyone protecting me? God has promised you that when the king of healing comes, he will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Okay? But it doesn't just stop there. All of our hearts are going to be changed. Can we go back to the last, can we go back? It says the highway will be there. It will be a highway for holiness. Uh, It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it, and wicked fools will not go about on it. And And this is awesome, because it's just what... Isaiah is saying here, and I don't think he's saying that, like, wicked fools are just going to be on a different road. Like, you're going to have, like, this is going to be the highway, and it'll be like a toll. And, like, you have to go, when you go through the toll, be like, are you a wicked fool? And, like, yes, okay, you go on, you go on Highway 22. Highway 2 is only reserved for the righteous. Um, You have to drive through Rocky Mountain House or something like that. Like, that is, okay. God is going to change us. So that we won't hurt each other anymore. The desires that we have that lead us to harm one another. The desires that we have that, that lead us to, to hurt our brothers and sisters. We're not going to have them anymore. The foolishness that exists in our hearts that causes us to, to damage other people and hurt their feelings and make them feel small and insignificant. That's, we're not going to do that anymore. There's an, another passage that Jesus quotes uh, pretty close to this in Isaiah where he says, uh, where, where Isaiah writes, they will no longer destroy each other anywhere on my holy mountain. When the king of healing comes, we will not destroy one another anymore. Can we go to the next, please? There will be healing in our hearts and minds. It says they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. One of the... Sometimes, as we walk through this world, and, and times like this, when the days get shorter and darker, and we wake up and it's dark, and we get home from work and it's dark, and we want to participate in the flood of consumerism that everyone is doing, and we don't necessarily have the resources, um, sorrow and sighing move into our heads and our hearts and our minds. And, uh, and what's frustrating sometimes about sorrow and sighing is that they can start to act like they own the place. Sorrow and sighing sit down in your brain and in your heart and in your mind, and they say, like, this is ours now, by the way. So gladness and joy, you go over there somewhere. You get to have a a corner, maybe, if you get to live here. You get to go over there. And sorrow and sighing start to just act like this is there. This is our brain now. This is our heart now. This is our mind now. This is where we live. Okay? And when the king of healing comes, sorrow and sighing flee. When the king of healing comes, sorrow and sighing are told, this isn't your brain anymore. I don't know where you got the idea that you own this place, but it's time for you to go. And instead, gladness and joy move in. And every part of us 
that wakes up in the morning in a panic or that goes to bed in a panic or when we try and close our eyes to sleep at night, that weird thought of the, the, the stupid thing that we said to someone in 1984 just pops up back into our head as if they're thinking of it. That voice is just gone now. That, that, that voice that loves to like set up a, a videotape reel of every silly mistake that you've ever made in your life and just like play that in your brain as you're trying to fall asleep, that's going to go away. The king of healing is coming, and when the king of healing comes, everlasting joy crowns your head. And there's no room for anything else. So when we declare that Christmas is coming, that's what we're talking about. Can we go to the next one, please? Because we are no longer waiting for a baby. I said this last week. We are no longer waiting for a child in a manger. That already happened. And as much as we celebrate that, and as much as we delight that that baby in a manger came, that is no longer what we are looking for as followers of Jesus. What we are looking for is this, a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is among the people. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be, be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. When we celebrate Christmas, we are entering into a revolution against the powers and principalities of this world that say that everything is going to be the same forever and that you don't matter. And what we enter into is saying, no, the real world, the world that we're looking forward to, the world that is truth, is this world. And where how our story ends is not with sore knees and not with haunted minds and not with broken relationships and not with desires for vengeance that are never uh, eased in our hearts, but our story ends with mourning and crying being no more. Our story ends with the old order of things passing away. And for those in this world that are really comfortable with the old order of things, if everything's working great for them now, for those people that are like, this world is pretty great, I'm sorry, it's not going to be like that forever. The old order of things is passing away, and God is going to make all things new. And when we say, what is Christmas all about? When we answer that question, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, this is what we're talking about. The king of healing is come, coming to heal us in every single way that we need healing. So this is the future reality, okay? But I want to go back to now. This is where I want to stay for a couple of minutes. Can we go to the next slide, please? I want to go back here for a second. Because it's all well and good for me to tell you that your bodies are going to be healed, that your resources are going to be healed, that your relationships are going to be healed, and that your hearts and minds are going to be healed. Because that's a someday thing. That's like, well, oh yeah, sure, someday that will happen. What about now? 
because the reality is right now we live in this already and not yet. Jesus has already won these things on the cross, but we all, but not yet have we experienced the fullness of all of them. And that's painful. It is really painful to live in a world where we still have brokenness in our hearts and minds. We still have brokenness in our bodies, and we still have brokenness in our relationships. And Jesus has not come in his fullness to heal that yet. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, one, we ask for it, and we do that, and we're going to have the opportunity to pray for, for continued healing in every way. But the greatest tool that we have been given to engage in rebellion against this world is singing. And I know some of you are just like, singing? Eh, come on. God has imbued music with power so that singing is an act of defiance against the powers of this world. And it's a way of saying in our hearts and minds to ourselves and to each other that the world is not right and we are going to sing into truth a world that will be. Singing is a weapon against the world that tells us that fear is the way, that confusion is the truth, and that pain is our life, and that your voice doesn't matter. And what we do when we sing Entering into Zion with singing, we declare to that world, actually, you're wrong. The king of all kings has declared that my voice matters now and for eternity. And fear isn't the way, Jesus is the way. And confusion isn't the truth, Jesus is the truth. And pain isn't my life, Jesus is my life. And I'm going to live in that world. And I'm going to demand that that world come now for me and the people that I love in order to transform everything around us. Singing is an act of rebellion. An act of rebellion against the principalities of this world that, have, that are t telling you to just, this is all that it's ever going to be. The best that you can hope for is maybe you might find another slightly better romantic partner. Maybe you might get some nicer decorations in your home. Maybe you might have slightly more resources. You can buy a shiny thing for your family and keep the fear at bay for another day. This is what you can expect. Keep giving us the things that we want. And when we sing, we declare no to the outside world and to the inside world. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. One of the things that we've been talking about as the band comes up, one of the things that we've been talking about for the last year is that God gave us this image of the people of this church being blocked up behind a dam and that there was this block keeping us from resources of joy, of hope, of of healing, of, of transformation, that all those things were just sort of blocked up behind a dam. And we've been trying to chip away at it. But the reality is, it's, and, and I would feel more called to that this week than any other time, also behind that dam, in addition to those resources, is there's a lot of hurt, and there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of anger. 
and we've shoved that down too. Singing is one of the ways that we get that out. Singing is one of the ways that we tell each other what's true. And I know that some of you, some of you already know this. <laughs> some of you in this room, you're already like, I'm already there. I got, I, 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 I sing myself into the truth every day. But some of you need to make some room. And there's some of you that need to enter Zion with singing. Zion is the presence of the Lord. And that is through singing that you're going to get there. And as you sing, to allow that, that crown of everlasting joy to sit on your head, not in a real, physical, tangible way, but in a way that you put that on and you acknowledge that at this moment, this is where I'm headed. This is the truth about who I am now and for eternity. And I'm going to choose to live in that reality for this moment. And what happens when we begin to take charge of the thoughts that are, own, that are in our own head, we become transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Paul says. And we, as we sing, as we cry, as we shout, as we shake, as we all of those things, we create a little bit of room for gladness and joy to get in the room. And we say to sadness and sighing, you better watch your tone. You've been acting like you run the place for entirely too long. And you do not own this heart, and you do not own this mind. So you need to make room. Because gladness and joy get to sit at this table too. I'm not lying to myself by making room for gladness and joy. I'm lying by allowing sadness and sighing to have full run of the place as if they have a deed, as if sadness and sighing own your soul. That is not true. So we defiantly say to them, get out. It's time for gladness and joy to come in here. And when we do that, they flee away. So we're going to sing. Um, they're going to come out and they're going to do that. But I want to encourage you. <laughs> Some of you I wonder, I'm feeling like some of you have like, it feels like there's a stoppage right here. It feels like there's a block, like right in the center of your chest. And you're just like, and you're just like, I'm keeping, I'm keeping, I'm keeping it in and I'm keeping it together. And the reason why you're keeping it in and you're keeping it together is because you feel like, look, if I let this thing out and I start crying, screaming, yelling, I don't know when I'm ever gonna be able to stop. And I just wanna give you permission let that out now. We've got three more songs to sing. Don't head to the... But if you need to... We're really loud and we're really dark. And one of the reasons why we do that is not because we're trying to, to have all your attention come up here. We do that sometimes because we want to create a safe space for you to experience what you need to experience. So if you've got some crying that needs to come out, let that out. If you've got some anger that needs to come out, let that come out. If you've got some stuff that you've been holding down in for too long because you're afraid that I'm not going to honor God with that, I promise you God is saying, I already know what's in there. Stop trying to hide it. Get it out here. And God is inviting you. And he is on your side to kick sadness and sighing to the curb just for a minute. 
say, no, this is not your heart. This is not your mind. This is not your soul. Gladness and joy get space here too. So I invite you as we sing this song, let all that out. Because something is going to and has to break in Jesus' name.